Yeah, thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness, uh, for your grace that you pour out on us, for the fact that um, because of your sacrifice on the cross, there's nothing that stands between us and God, um, and we can have a relationship with him. So yeah. I bless, bless us today and bless um, your word in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you know the story of Louis Zamperini? Does that name ring a bell? No, you don't? So I may have shared this once before. So he was an Olympic track athlete in, from 1936. He, he, ran, he ran in the 1936 Olympics for the United States. And then in 1941, he was commissioned to the United States Army Air Force as a lieutenant, where he served as a bombardier on a B-24 Liberator in the Pacific Ocean. On a search and rescue mission, Zamperini's plane experienced mechanical difficulties and ditched into the ocean, and eight of the 11 men on the plane died. Zamperini survived with two other crewmates, and they were adrift on a raft for 47 days in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, uh, strafed by the Japanese planes, which didn't end up hitting any of them, but eventually one of the three ended up dying, and the two drifted um, and landed on Japanese-occupied Marshall Islands and were captured. After that um, followed years of being imprisoned in prisoner of war camps in Japan where he was tortured and beaten, um, and largely because of how defiant he was to the, his Japanese captors and how he stood up to their abuse. And because he was an Olympic athlete, they refrained from killing him and instead decided to make an example of him. Um, he, uh, he was finally released at the end of the war, but his battle didn't end. He got married shortly afterward, but then for years struggled with PTSD because of the, idea, the, the ordeal that he'd been through and even turned to alcohol in order to soothe himself and became an alcoholic. His marriage was ruined and was on the, attempt, on the edge of divorce when his wife went to a Billy Graham crusade. 1949 and received the Lord and came back to him and said I was going to divorce you but now I'm not and invited him to come with her to the crusade he went and here there he received Jesus too and it truly changed his life one of the things he said in a testimony is the PTSD had given him terrible nightmares so bad that he woke up at one point choking his wife it was that bad it's one of the reasons why she wanted to divorce him but as soon as he received Jesus, the nightmares went away. Didn't have nightmares for the rest of his life. God set him free. He became an evangelist and went around and shared his story and then devoted himself to helping at-risk youth. But the real story is in 1952, he went back to Japan. He was on a speaking tour, and he met with the men who had been guards in the camp he was a prisoner at, and he forgave them all. It's a pretty amazing story, yeah you think about it. I mean, I, I think of a lot of people that have hurt me in my life, but never as much as this man had gone through. The ability to forgive them is, is clearly a miracle. There's more to the story. I'll share that later. Um, but I think about this idea of what it means to be Easter people and what it means to, what comes after the resurrection. Or even more, the question I have is what comes after forgiveness, 
right? What comes after the forgiveness we receive or even what comes after the, the forgiveness we extend to others. You know, we're called to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We're called to love one another. We're called to forgive. Um, but it seems like um, we're called to love, right, the whole world and everyone in it, not just the people we want to. And what does that love look like? I can't help but leave and know that it's more than just forgiving. It goes beyond that. There are more than, there's more than just forgiveness that we're called to both receive and to extend to others. Linda did a great talk on forgiveness. Was it back in February now? Yeah, and it's available online. If you want to listen to it, I recommend it. It's still relevant, which is good, right? Um, and there's a lot of things about forgiveness. I just wrote a couple down. You know, forgiveness can be very hard to, to do. Um, we also know that it's a f- commandment. We're told to do it, right? Jesus said, "You need to forgive as I've forgiven you." And, and there's also another truth about about forgiveness. Forgiveness is really for us, the person who forgives. You know, this is the person who who really benefits the most initially because the person who you're forgiving may never ask for it. They may never want it. They may never think they need it. But you know that you need it. And so when you receive it, it's very freeing to you. When you forgive them, it sets you free. It makes us better people. It helps us address the painful past, any trauma that we went through, and then it no longer becomes toxic and leads us to things like alcoholism, right, which did, or other um, habits or sinful uh, actions, but becomes something that we can learn from and grow, you know, from, so... But there's more, right? What comes after forgiveness? What, are, what's our, what is God calling us to after we forgive someone? I think that's what I really want to talk about. And so I want to look at John chapter 21. Um, and if you have your Bible or an app, go ahead and open it. I am going to read from the message version because uh, it's a little, it reads a little bit easier. Um, and then we'll talk through it together. And I have a list of questions. As you're listening to it, I want you to ask the, the, yourself the question, what stands out to you from the passage, or what questions do you have? And then two other ones. This, these are really easy. Uh, what do you learn about Peter, and what do you learn about Jesus? You don't have to put them up yet, Doug, but yeah. So just to set the background, this is John 21, right? So in John 19, Jesus is crucified. In John 21, 20, he rises again. And, and shows himself to his disciples twice in that passage. And then John 21 comes along, right? And, it, and we don't know exactly how long it is after uh, Jesus rose, but we know it's between eight days, because eight days was his second appearance, and 40 when he ascended into heaven. So somewhere in between there. But we also know is that the disciples have left Jerusalem, and they're in Galilee now. They've gone back home, right? And, um, and uh, so they're by the Sea of Galilee, probably trying to figure out what to do uh, because that wasn't clear. They'd, they'd encountered the risen Christ, trying to figure out what their life means in the midst of this. And so this story begins. And another piece, and I know you all know this, but um, that's important for this, before Jesus is crucified, Peter and, and Jesus have this conversation. Jesus says, I'm, I'm going and you can't follow me. And Peter says, why can't we follow you? Jesus, I'll even lay down my life for you. And Jesus' response, this is the message version, really? You lay down your life for me? The truth is that before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Right? So, and then um, 
after Jesus is arrested, almost immediately Peter denies Jesus for the first time and then quickly follows after that two more times before the night is up and then the rooster crows on his third time. So it gives you a picture of where Peter is at. Peter hasn't yet um, dealt with this issue as far as we can tell with Jesus. So this is from John 21, and this is the message. After this, Jesus appeared again to his disciples, this time at the Tiberias Sea, or the Sea of Galilee. And this is how he did it. Simon, Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the brother Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter announced, I'm going fishing. The rest of them replied, well, then we're going with you. And they went out and got in the boat. They caught nothing that night. And when the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. And Jesus spoke to them and said, good morning. Did you catch anything for breakfast? And they answered, no. And he said, throw your net off the right side of the boat and see what happens. They did what he said, and all of a sudden there were so many fish in it that they weren't strong enough to pull it in. And then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the master. When Simon Peter realized it was the master, he threw on some clothes, for he was stripped for work and dove into the sea. The other's disciples came in by boat, for there weren't, they weren't far from land, a hundred yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. And when they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid with fish and bread cooking on it. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've caught. And Simon Peter joined them and pulled the net to shore, 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't rip. And Jesus said, breakfast is ready. And not one of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? For they knew it was the master. Jesus then took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus had shown himself alive to the the disciples since being raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, master, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. He then asked the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you. And Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. And then he said it a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset that he had asked for a third time, do you love me? So he answered, master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So I know this is um, a strange story. Many of you know this quite well. But as you look at it again today, what stands out to you from this passage? What do you learn about Peter and what do we learn about Jesus? What stands out to you from the passage? I'll ask that first. And this is open. I'd love to hear some of your your comments and feedback. Linda, you're going to have to stand up and I'll hand it to you. Um, just it popped out at me that when he was going to go meet Jesus, he quickly put on his clothes, and maybe that was super practical, but also strikes me as kind of symbolic of like kind of a shame thing. Uh huh. Yeah, like good. he had to cover himself. Yeah. What stands out to you? Um, 
there's no mention of forgiveness. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he just goes on as if nothing had happened. Yeah, there's no mention of forgiveness. That's good. Um, I noticed that he asked him if he loves him like three times, yep. which is how many times he denied him. Yep. There was also no recriminations. No, you did a bad thing. Why'd you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't call out what he had done wrong. I think, you know, Jesus knew Peter's heart that he wanted to love him, but he couldn't, and so he took care of what needed to be taken care of. Okay. Every time uh, Jesus says, do you love me, he commands him to reach out to the lost and to reach out to the people of God. Yeah, so you notice the difference in it, right? The call is different, right? Andrew. You're always talking about no recriminations and things like that. It's, it's uh, the sequence is Jesus welcomes them to the meal first. Yeah. And and so their first interaction with him is, hey, why don't you fish over there? And and so there's this friend. He calls them friends. First word, friends, right? Yeah. And and then there's a welcome to the meal and an eating together, and everybody knows who it is. And yeah. so Jesus reinstates that relationship of welcome. First, yeah. before talking about any sin, they don't have to have a gatekeeping conversation about you did bad, now apologize. Yeah, right? you know, yeah. that's so. good. Yeah. There's a song that we sing, <clears throat> My sin was great, your love was greater. And I think this is a picture of the greatness of God's love, greater than our sin. Jesus has a plan in mind, and he, he knows the vastness of God's love. And in some ways, he's not needing the apostles' apologies. He's knowing where his love is going to take them. Um, and because it's kind of quiet around the fire, there's probably just awkward <laughs> tension. I think Jesus kind of knows what's going on. Peter's pretty sure of himself. I mean, Jesus had to ask him three times, and yeah, he said, of course I do. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an it's interesting when you look at it again. I mean, we this isn't a new story, but all the things that tend to pop out, like I hadn't seen that before. You know, that's new, right? All this there wasn't any recrimination, and it was grace. And he started off um, by with this like offering of community here eat a meal with me right which you don't normally do with someone that you're angry and upset with it's like no let's let's talk about this and get this right before we can move forward um there's just a lot of beautiful things in this in this interaction between them you know what else i i noticed too is jesus initiates this interaction right it wasn't he wasn't waiting for peter to finally come to him and say Oh, I really messed up, Jesus. But Jesus was there. No, he was there for the purpose of, of obviously, um, you know, kind of reconnecting with Peter. What are you going to say, Betsy? Here. One thing that sparks me, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Jesus like does this really cool reminder with the disciples where the way he called Peter and met Peter was like this miraculous catch of fish and he does it again just to like remind him um, of what he has done before. Yeah. It's like, I think that's really um, kind. Yeah. It's cool too, right? Symbolism matters. And I'm still trying to understand how they did not recognize him. He he, he must have had a, a different exterior look and that's just kind of Strange, and yet then they did realize it was him. I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. I, I don't, I don't know. I, you can only speculate. I haven't read anything on that. I, I have to know. You know, the marks of his abuse were still on his body, so was his face unrecognizable? Because they beat him on his face, right? His, the, the wounds were on his hands. The wound was in his side. The wounds were on his feet. The wounds were on his face and his head as well. You couldn't recognize it. <laughs> that's that's the other option. So yes, maybe it was still dark and they couldn't see. There's all kinds of potential possibilities, right? No, but I, I, you think about it, and this is really this is really a beautiful picture of grace, isn't it? That um, you know of Jesus kind of extending, like I'm going to go out of my way, and and it's not that you know not that Peter didn't want to be right with Jesus, is that Jesus wanted to be right with Peter, right? So super cool when you think about it. Um, yeah. I think when Doug said that, what went into my mind is that the disciples weren't looking for him. Yeah. They, there's like, well, I guess we go back to fishing. Right, right, right. And that's, that's, it's one of those questions that's probably out there. What do we do now? I guess we'll do what we know. Peter says, I'll go fish again because that's what I know how to do. And in a sense, what Betsy said is true, right? It was a reminder, no, I, 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 you're not doing that anymore, right? And I, call, I didn't call you to catch fish. I called you to catch people, right? So it's a, it's a change. Your calling is different, and it's new. Yeah, yeah a significant passage where we learn, um, what do we learn about Peter through this passage? This is going well, so I won't share my thoughts. You've already got most of them, so. No, I'm serious. I have more, but a lot of them are details in the passage that we often focus on. I'll share one. Just because, since you all laughed at me, I will share one. You know, all the things you, you said. Um, but we, we, we make a big deal about Peter um, being asked three times, right, by Jesus. Jesus asking Peter three times, do you love me? And then three times him saying, feed my sheep, you know, shepherd my flock, feed my sheep. And you're like, ooh, what is the significance to that? Well, the only significance that I can tell you when I looked at a bunch of commentaries on it is it matches the number of times that, that he denied Jesus. And it may have been a way that P- Jesus was giving Peter an opportunity to publicly confess that he was not denying Jesus, but that he loved him. Right? The number of, you've denied me three times, three times in front of your, your partners, Right? Your, your friends, I want you to confess that you love me. And that's what he did. And three times Jesus then reinstated Peter's call. And he changed it too, right? That's a new one too. That's different, right? It used to be, and Paul said that, it used to be, you know, you're fish for people. Now I want you to care for my flock. And it's kind of funny. Peter went from a place of, of, um, of like being one of the others to suddenly here's the one who denied Jesus gets put in leadership. What are you doing? Right? It's, it's crazy. 
So, but I, but I will say this: we make a big deal out of it. We also make a big deal out of the word. Uh, you know that if you know the Greek word, it changes for love. In one place, it's Jesus says, "Do you agape me?" And Peter says, "I phileo you." You know, mainly, I love you as a friend. Jesus said, "Do you love me?" And, and we can make a big deal out of it. And the, you know what the commentator said? It's not an issue. And I'm like, what? I've been believing this all my whole life that it was an issue. And all these people say, oh, agape is a special word. And actually, agape was a common word then used in literature. Did you know that? I didn't. Um, we make, and we, we want to divide and, and explain this. Lori said, oh, this is our Greek background. You know, Let's divide everything up and understand it. No, it, it's love. The word love is love, right? And, and, and uh, yes, it's different than eros. That's different. But but these two words were used interchangeably. And even John uses them interchangeably, talking about the love of God for, his, uh, for Jesus and Jesus for, for, for the Father. The same, he uses phileo and he uses agape. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a common thing where you would use different words meaning the same thing. That blew me away. But is that important? Well, it's important to note that often we get sidetracked from the bigger issue, right? And the bigger issue here is Jesus loves Peter. Right? Yeah. So what do you learn about Peter from this passage? You want to you wanna st- bring people? Okay. Do you mind coming up to the front and answering questions? It's a little harder for, but yes. You guys, a little bit harder for you. How many of you are, would be up, have a hard time doing that and would prefer to? You know what? I think we'll just do audio. Sorry. Yeah. We'll just stick with audio. Sorry for people out there. You'll have to listen. Well, so what do you learn about Peter? Okay, this might be a bit of a stretch. So, um, I just, as my mind was thinking, like, you know, he's hurt by Jesus asking him so many times, and I kind of wonder if this isn't like a, you know, it's forgiving Peter and reinstating him, but it's also maybe a, a mind renewal where maybe Peter's realizing what it, what loving Jesus requires. Hmm. You know, like maybe he thought it was okay that when Jesus was taken away, he could deny him and then accept him again. And maybe Jesus is sort of in a, in a very kind and subtle way showing him a deeper love, hmm. more loyal love. I don't know. So Peter has jumped out of a boat before for Jesus. Um, And this one, it's not like he's concerned about, like, am I going to fall? Am I going to... Like, he just jumped in the boat. He grabbed his coat, and he jumped out, not worrying about walking on water, not worrying about, do I have enough faith to do this? But he just did what he normally did. I, I think going back to what you know sometimes in trauma is really powerful because it allows us some comfort to move forward. Yeah. And I think that's what he did. We have the vantage point of reading the scriptures, you know, this, you know, 2,000 years after things happened yeah. with a lot of smart people looking at it and giving us the understanding of theology. In, in this situation, Peter doesn't really understand what has just happened the last week or the last two weeks with coming into Jerusalem, triumphal entry, Jesus' path, passion, death, resurrection, he still doesn't you know, get it. And which I don't say critically, I say, 
You know, thank goodness. He was with Jesus face-to-face three years. He didn't understand what was going on in his life or what Jesus was doing. That gives me comfort yeah. <laughs> because I don't get it always often either. Yeah, I'm glad you realized that, Matt. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, that was very interesting, Nicole, about him having jumped out of the boat again. What occurred to me about it is he, um, I, this is extra biblical, but I bet that the reason he, he dove into the water and got there first was that gave him a one-on-one time with Jesus, and I, I surmise that maybe he, he, he wanted to, you know, apologize and 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 confess what he had done. And we don't know if that happened, but um, most people, at least, if I want to apologize to someone, I'd rather do it one on one. Yeah. And as soon as I can. I I think it also was a reflection of how excited he was to see Jesus. You know, you watch any of those videos of soldiers returning home and showing up and the family members see them and run to them that's what i'm thinking just to talk about what doug said that to set that scene of of step by step at the end of the chapter um peter after the conversation with jesus peter looks back and sees the disciple whom jesus loved following them right which is john the writer um and um I'm like, oh wait, what? They were they were walking. This is oh, and you look back at the beginning of the paragraph of that conversation. It's like when they were done eating, she, you know, Peter and Jesus had this discussion, right? So there's this welcome. There's this huge thing of fish. Come on in. Come have breakfast on the beach with me. And um, and then when they're done, Jesus says, as he has so many times with the disciples because teaching is walking around, come walk with me on the beach. And that's when they have that moment of private conversation with one another. So. Um, It just reminded me of the previous, uh, when he was overconfident and said, I was, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna die for you and and Jesus said, well, we, we all know what Jesus said, but um, one thing that struck me is that Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. And um, I think that speaks um, for Jesus is our mediator. He always um, intercedes for us and prays for us. And Peter was able to embrace Jesus and jump into the water and run to him because he knew Jesus already prayed for him. It was okay. Yeah, thank you. Good. So what did you, did someone else have anything else? Or did you want to share something? This might be a little stretch too, but I see in that third answer of Peter's when he says, Lord, you know all things. And it says Peter is hurt, but I picture that as Peter is humbled. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I did wrong, but you know that I want to love you. Yeah. I see that as Peter's humbled. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like I like this too. You learn you learn something about Peter. You do see a change, right?
in Peter here. And this is really, it's at this point that Peter be, be really becomes a new man. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny, right? See this, it's not that he wasn't being changed by his time with Jesus, but something about this interaction is like Peter's conversion. <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? There's something like, and this is, and it fits this story of when Jesus come, comes to a person and uh, and then and they're forgiven and they receive after he's died, right? And they become a new person and are changed and transformed. We really see a different Peter from this point on. There's something that happens here that's quite significant. So, and then of course in Acts um, later, he, as when they receive the Holy Spirit, and even before this, he blows he blows breeze on them and says, "Receive the Holy Spirit as well." But there's a transformation happening at this point. I see a different Peter here. Good. So what do you learn about Jesus? Really quickly. We'll do this a little faster. The importance of encounter. Say more. So Jesus could have sent it in a message, could have sent an angel, could have been in a dream. Right. There is something, you were just talking about the transformative nature of this experience in Peter's life. It's almost like a second conversion. Yeah. And I think for me it speaks to the importance of encounter, of pers- our, our personal encounters with Jesus. It's yep. good to have the Word, the Holy Spirit, etc. Yep. But we also are transformed through our encounters with him, however they happen. I'll walk around. So Jesus um, had breakfast ready, but he also took what they had and said, bring that. So he prepared a table, but then also took what they had to bring and included that in their breakfast. Yeah, that's good. That's a great question. Um, He's like a master at his art. He's good with the human heart is what I see, just his like subtlety and his kindness um it's just very inspiring yeah very gracious oh did it just tom had said about there being no element of the forgiveness piece and i I think that speaks to jesus is unoffend you can't offend him Hmm. you know that we hold unforgiveness in our heart and he never did you know i think that's the really powerful thing of love true love i'll go around alex i was just thinking it speaks to me that he's a he's truly our savior he knows what we need he he has a desire to reach out for us. Sin will not keep us from him. He, um, you know, he reaches out. He does what it needs to be done, and he can do it. He has an intense desire for us to 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 help us, to to guide us, to lead us. So I, I look at this passage as both an example of, God, of, of grace, right? There is forgiveness here, even though it's not asked for. Now, we don't know. Maybe he did beforehand. That's unspoken. But it's more, right? Um, I mean, we, we see uh, Peter 
longing to be with Jesus, but Jesus being the one who initiates the process. And, and not only does he freely welcome Peter, right, back into community, um, take a walk with him and talk with him, give him an opportunity to confess. Um, I, and I'm guessing it was within earshot, so the other disciples were right there, right, that, that um, Peter wasn't denying Jesus, but that he loved him. Um, but also um, reconcile him in his relationship with the Lord and reinstate him in his role, right, as a leader. I mean, I, I don't know what it was like for Peter. I, I thought, man, I'd be so embarrassed and ashamed of my actions that day I'd wonder if I could ever be of any use to God again. Right? I mean, talk about royally messing up. You had your one chance to really... And there you did. You just right there, almost in front of Jesus, you said, I never know. I knew him. I was never with him, right? I wasn't one of his followers. Um, and here's Jesus giving a chance to say, do you love me? And Peter say, yes, I love you. You know, and then Jesus saying, okay, great. Here's what I have for you, right? As a result. So he reconciles with Peter and he reinstates him. He kind of, I would say, he gives Peter a second chance. Right? Gives Peter a second chance. What comes after forgiveness in a relationship with someone who's hurt us or betrayed us? Right? What comes? Right? At some point, an opportunity, a second chance. Now, it doesn't mean they'll take it or they'll be interested in it. Right? But I believe that's something that we're all called to offer and to be ready to give. He set an example for us. What does this mean for us, right? He set an example for us as to how we're to, he treats us and how we're then to treat others. It isn't just about forgiveness because forgiveness is just the first step in the process. Reconciliation is the end result. Reinstating the person is even more. I think about how God sets the example for us, right? God leads the way. Does he just forgive us for our sins and say good luck? No, right? He says, he says, I'm going to make you my children, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell everyone, look, my, my child has returned. He's going to give us good gifts, and he provides for our needs. He puts rings on our fingers and robes on our back and welcomes us into his family and, give, and reinstates the, us as people who will receive his inheritance, right? He kills the fattened calf and celebrates and welcomes us home, right? We're not talking about allowing someone to abuse us over and over again, but I'm talking about being courageous and taking risks with people, giving them a chance to reconcile with you and uh, and, and welcoming them into the family. That's what we're talking about here, right? That's what comes after forgiveness. You forgive someone. So talk about Louis, right? During a speaking tour in Tokyo in 1952, Louis Zamperini had the opportunity to meet with um, with the prison guards at the prison um, that he had been held at, right? Um, and he went to a prison filled with 850 Japanese war criminals. And after speaking to the prisoners, Louis had requested to meet with all of his former guards. And he said, I, I, he said, I looked out and I saw them coming down the aisle. And of course, I recognized each one vividly. I didn't even think of my reaction. I jumped off the stage, ran down and threw my arms around them. It's really weird for Japanese, by the way. <laughs> you know, they're like, what are you doing? It just broke all the cultural things. But he, they withdrew from me, right? Probably for many reasons. They couldn't understand the forgiveness. We went into room and there I pressed, 
I told them about Jesus. I told them about what he'd done for me and how he healed me. And all but one made a decision for Christ. When one former soldier wondered how I could forgive these men who treated him so badly, who, you know, they'd forgive how, how they could forgive him who treated him so badly, and this is what he responded to them. This wasn't a guard, this was a Japanese soldier. He said, well, Mr. Uh, Sasaki, the greatest story of forgiveness the world ever has ever known was the cross. And when Christ was crucified, he said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. And I said, it's only through the cross that I can come back here and say, but I do forgive you. And then he responded to the invitation and became a Christian as well. See, Louis didn't need to do this, right? He could have just, you know what, that's my past. I don't want to deal with these people anymore. They've hurt me too deeply. said he wanted to meet with them. In fact, he sought after the one person more than any. Was the, they had, the guy had the nickname The Bird, who, was, who per, personally tormented Louis um, and, tried to, and tried to kill him. And um, that man, through his whole life, would never meet with him. They had many opportunities to do it. He even wrote a letter telling him that he freely forgives him and, and encouraged him to receive Christ. It's just a beautiful thing. So he went beyond forgiving to a point of actually not just seeking reconciliation with these men, but helping them reconcile with God. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? And I, I think about what that means for us, right? So what does it mean to love someone? It's not just forgiving them. It's about choosing to be with them, to give them chances to, to re-earn their trust or show they're trustworthy, and even to extend the grace of trust to people who haven't earned it yet, right? And, and to believe in their sincerity and work with them. I, I think of it this way. God has a vision for all of us. Like he had a vision for Peter, right? He saw Peter and he knew who he had made Peter to be and who Peter was going to become. And he's calling us to have the same vision for the people that hurt us. Who has God created these people to be and who, have they, who are they going to become? So that then we approach them the same way and we don't just forgive them, we welcome them back into our families and we make them one of us. You know, I, there's pa- all sorts of passages in scripture, right? What about forgiving 70 times 7? Have you ever thought about it? How could you have an opportunity to forgive 70 times 7 if you weren't in a relationship with the person? Right? Now, I'm not talking about an abusive situation with a pow- someone who has power over you, okay? But, I'm, you know, that's one of those situations where you think, no, you, you kind of have to stay in a relationship in order for the person to hurt you again, and you need to forgive them. Or the passage talking about if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn your other cheek. You probably have heard this in the past. Walter Wink has this idea um, that um, with striking someone, uh, uh, what you would, you would backhand someone to insult them, right? Um, and, uh, and so if you turn the other cheek, that forces them to have a choice between using the, uh, the a left hand, which was used for unclean purposes, um, or uh, would be to slap them open-handed as a challenge or to punch the person. But if you did this, it would state to them that you were equal. Have you heard that before? That's an, I, won't, I won't go into detail, but the idea is, it, the idea is just the way it's done if you, he would say, if you do this in the right way, basically what it is, it's a challenge to them to say, don't treat me as someone under you, treat me as an equal person, right? But my question was, I'm not sure I agree with Walter on that, but I would say, what if this was just as simply to say, I don't hit people I love? Does that make sense? I won't hit you back because I love you. Right? It's an act of nonviolence, right? 
Another, another way to look at this too is we see a lot of people in the world that are broken, especially people that hurt us. We want them to make changes. We want them to get better. But, we, but the question is, how are they going to get better unless they have an opportunity or a chance to do that? How can they get better unless they have a second, a third, or even a fourth chance? Right? Uh, how can we get better unless we do that? We have to have opportunities to make mistakes and to screw up with each other, right? And we need to have, be in a, in a community and a family of grace that it constantly extends love and forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, my last thought. Um, we talk a lot about being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And I think in our context, we're often talking about miracles, signs, and wonders, which is a true sign of having the Spirit of God in you. Another sign of being filled with the Spirit is the ability to get along with and to love someone who you don't like very much, all right? Or you would have every reason to hate. That's another reason, the way to say the Spirit is in me. The ability to love someone who, who is your enemy, to extend forgiveness to someone who uh, constantly just, you know, has it out for you to become more than a friend and to make them a part of, of, of the family. And again, like I said earlier, to have the same vision that God has for them. Um, I mean, that's the, that's the kind of community I think of that really brings transformation, a place where you know you can go and you'll be forgiven. If you mess up, it's not the end. And even if you kind of go off the, the deep end, there's always a way back. And there are people who won't just let you go, they'll chase after you find you fishing, offer you to have breakfast, right? And talk about love. Yeah. So what, what, is, what is next for us? What is next for you in this? What does this say? I, the only question I have to kind of leave you with is, is there someone that God is calling, I'm talking about us first as a community to extend this grace to, to not just forgive them, but to give them a second chance to seek reconciliation with and on a personal level, is there someone Jesus is calling you to extend this grace to? To not just forgive them, but to, but to give them a second chance to seek reconciliation. Maybe there's more. Someone that God wants to, to give you his vision for. Someone you could pray for. God, give me your eyes to see this person as you do. What is it you long to see happen in their life? And how can I be a part of it? Yeah. So let me pray. Jesus, I pray that you would help us in this journey as we seek um, and we long to not only receive your forgiveness, your reconciliation, um, even a reinstatement and a calling, but to see others receive that as well. Those that we love and those that are our enemies, those that um, are for us and those that have felt against us, those in our present and those in our past. God, as we move forward in this new season, as we move ahead, help us not to leave anything behind, any stone unturned, any area of our life. I just pray for a clean slate for us as a church and for us as individuals as well, that we might move forward. And help us to become a, a community that really is one that, like you, offers second and third and fourth and fifth and 70 times seven chances. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.